So let me ask you this. I, I, I think I'm not the only person to have experienced this. How many of you guys have ever had like a powerless dream? Where a, like, a powerless dream is a dream where you are powerless to do something that you're trying to do in the dream. Okay, I took an informal poll. Only a few people are volunteering. But when I explained, um, I took an informal poll this week and I got some good ones back. I had somebody say that they have this recurring dream that they're trying to walk and they're trying to go somewhere, but their legs feel like lead and they like just can't move. And, and the dream, they're trying to walk. And it's a very simple thing, but they just can't bring themselves to walk. They're powerless to walk. I had somebody else tell me that they had this recurring dream where they're swimming out in the ocean and they're trying to swim back to shore, and they're just swimming, they're doing the normal strokes, but for whatever reason, they can't come back to the shore. They're not moving forward. They're powerless to get back to the shore. I had somebody else tell me about a dream they had where, this is a college student, they, they are trying to find their college classroom, and no matter where they go, they keep going to where it's supposed to be, and it's not there, and they keep going around, and they're powerless to find their classroom. And I had somebody else tell me about one where they, they, if they needed help in their dream, they would open their mouth to, to call out for help, but nothing would come out of their mouth, and they were powerless to, to speak out, right? I had one a long time ago where I had this dream that, um, that some, some guys were coming into our house, and they were going towards my child's bedroom, and I remember like getting up and thinking, I'm going to go defend my child, and I'm going to go take these guys out, you know, you know, in my dream, okay, I'm a ninja in my dream, so I, but in, but in my dream, I can't, I can't get to them, like, I'm kind of stuck in space, and I'm trying to get to them, it's a terrible, frustrating dream, has anybody had something like that, something, okay, some of you guys, most of you, um, as frustrating, and, and strange, and, 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 and difficult as that is in a dream, it's much more frustrating to feel powerless in real life, and all of us have had that experience as well. We've all had the experience in life of wanting to do something, striving to do something that we know we should do, and yet somehow or other we feel powerless to actually accomplish it, right? Some of you may feel like what I really want to do is to have a fulfilling job that's, that pays well and that's rewarding and that is meaningful to me, and yet I keep messing up and stumbling and somehow or I can't get to that thing which I'm trying to do, and I feel powerless to navigate my life towards the thing that I feel like I really want to experience. Maybe for some of you, it's relationship. You, you want a loving, intimate, good, sweet relationship, and yet you feel powerless because, you know, in the past you haven't had good relationships, and, and you feel powerless to experience that thing that you want to experience. You don't know how to get there, and you feel powerless to actually do it. Some of you, it may just be, you know, you want to accomplish something in life. You want a sense of meaning and purpose. You want to do something important, but obstacles are in your way and for whatever reason you can't seem to get to that thing you're powerless to get to the thing that you're trying to get to the other thing that happens is that some of us it's not just the power to do something it's sometimes we lack the power to avoid that which we know we need to avoid so it's the power to not do something the big ones that you know that everybody knows about the obvious ones are people who struggle with uh, overconsumption of alcohol or drugs, or pornography, or gambling, and you know, they're, you know, you're trying to stop yourself from doing something, but for whatever reason, there's a powerlessness, and you find yourself going back to doing things that you know you're not supposed to do, and you don't want to do, you know they're not fulfilling your purpose, you know that they're not what God wants you to do, and yet you somehow are powerless to stop yourself from doing those things. For others, it's not just the actions, it's, it might be an attitude in your heart. 
Like you want to be a loving person. You want to be a, a, a giving, generous, sweet, kind person, but you find yourself holding grudges and you find yourself feeling envious and you find yourself feeling judgmental and jealous of other people and you go, I, I wish I could not do that, but I'm powerless to stop myself from having these feelings. Or maybe for some of you, it's like you want peace. You want to experience peace in your heart but you can't stop yourself from having anxiety and worries and fears about the future and you don't know how to gain the power to stop yourself from having those experiences. You don't know how to get the power to have peace in your heart or joy in your heart. You're, you want to, to, to feel happy, you wanna be joyful and yet you keep feeling despondent and you don't, how do I get from here to there, right? Or, or maybe it's your temper, you know? You, 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 you want to control your temper, but suddenly something triggers you, and man, you just lose it. And you go, man, I wish I had the power to, to hold that in, you know, to not be that way. If I haven't hit your button yet, please raise your hand and tell me what your thing is, because um, it's that too. Um, <laughs> um, whatever it is, all of us have this experience of either wanting to do something that we're powerless to do, or wanting to not do something that we're powerless to avoid. We've all had that experience. Today we're in part six of Simon Says, and we've been, we've been studying and exploring and walking along with Simon Peter through his imperfect steps of faith. And we have seen him in every imaginable kind of scenario. So we saw Simon early on, we saw him walking on the water. And then we saw him being called the rock upon which Christ is going to build his church. And then we saw him deny Jesus three times. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And then we saw him rushing to the tomb when Jesus was resurrected and we saw the, the joy and the hope that he had in the darkness. And then we saw, last week we saw how Jesus restored him on the beach over a little charcoal fire. And three times Simon had denied him. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And three times Jesus brought him back through the affirmation of love. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. So we've seen him in all of these kinds of circumstances. But what we're going to, to observe today, what we're going to explore today, is an experience that Simon has not, never had up to this point. Because today we're going to look at what happens to Simon when Jesus is gone. What, what happens to Simon's power when the source of his power leaves? Simon has to ask the question, Will I have the power to be the man that God called me to be? Do I have the power to be the rock? Do I have the power to feed his sheep like he told me to do? Do I have the power to be the man and the leader that God called me to be? Do I have that power? Because Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And up to this point, Jesus was right there with Simon. So if Simon screwed up, Peter, Jesus was there to fix it. If Simon said the wrong thing, Jesus was there to correct it. He had the power to correct it. If Simon started you know, falling down into the waves and drowning in the sea, Jesus had the power to reach down and pick him up. If Simon got caught in the storm, Jesus had the power to say, peace, be still, still the storm. If Simon, if Simon couldn't throw a, a, a demon out of somebody, Jesus would walk in and go, Shh, be gone. Right? If Simon cut off somebody's ear, Jesus had the power to heal it. I mean, Jesus, if Simon couldn't catch fish, Jesus would go, hey man, other side of the boat. You know what I mean? Like, whatever Simon needed, Jesus was always there to empower him to accomplish the thing that he was supposed to accomplish. But now, Jesus is about to leave. Will Simon have the power when Jesus is gone? 
The question for many of you today and for me is, do I have the power to be what God wants me to be? Do I have the power to accomplish? Do you have the power to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish? Do you have the power to avoid that which God wants you to avoid and embrace that which God wants you to embrace? Do you have the power? And of course, Jesus knows this question better than we know it ourselves. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our mind. He knows what's going on in the hearts of the believers. He knows what's going on in Simon's heart. He knows they're wondering, oh my God, Jesus, if you leave, where does that leave us? And so Jesus does something beautiful. He brings about 120 of his followers together, including Simon. And he brings them onto a little hill outside of Jerusalem. And he talks to them. And he, he tells them about the place that he's going to prepare for them. And then he does something beautiful. He makes a promise to them. He makes a promise to them. And he says this. He says, you will receive power. You will, when I leave, you will receive power power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power to overcome the anxiety. You will receive power to pursue the thing that God has for you to pursue. You will receive power to become the man or the woman that God designed you to be. You will receive power when I leave. And he said this, you will be my witnesses. Now, I'm not going to drill down on that word for now. I'm going to come back to that later. But he said, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea and then in the uttermost parts of the world. And then it says this. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. That was it. That's the last time they saw Jesus in the flesh. And the last thing that he did before he left was to promise them power. Today, I want to title this message, The Promise of Power. The Promise of Power. Yesterday, I took my seven-year-old, Lincoln, to his first baseball game. Never played a baseball game before. This was his first game. It was really exciting. You know, he's got his, he's got his little hat on, and he's got it backwards because that's the way he rolls, okay? And he's got his purple shirt on, and he's got his glove. And we're driving out to the baseball game, and he goes, he goes, Dad, from the back seat. He goes, Dad? I go, yes, son. He goes, I'm scared. I go, why are you scared, Lincoln? He said, because what if I mess up at the baseball game? Like, what if I strike out and everybody starts to laugh at me? What if I miss the ball and, and, and everybody starts to mock me? What if, I, what, if, what if I blow it, Dad? Now, as a dad, you know, your heart knows this kid's, you know this kid, man. This kid, like, he, he's got my heart. And so what I want to say, I, what I want to say is, son, don't worry about that. You're going to kill it. You're not going to strike out. You're not going to, you're going to hit a home run. You're going you're gonna to get on base every time. Nobody's going to laugh at you. But I can't promise that. As much as I would like to promise him that he's going to succeed, I can't promise that. Because I don't know what's going to happen out there. You know, I can't promise him something that I can't fulfill. What, I can't convey to him my baseball prowess. All right, And, and the truth is, even if I could, it wouldn't be good for him. Because I, 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 some of you know this, I was not... I had an illustrious two-year Little League career during which my batting average was 0.00. I mean, I mean, my bat never made contact with the ball two years in Little League. Never made, my body made contact with the ball several times, 
But the bat never, I never caught a pop fly. I never, ground, I never fielded a ground ball. Two years in a game, not one time. But I, but I had hustle, man. I had hustle. My coach said I had hustle as he asked me to join another team. You got hustle for that team. Um, so even if I was able to convey some kind of power to my son so that he wouldn't fail, it would not be a good power that I would be conveying. He would be a worse baseball player than I was if I conveyed. So I can't make the promise. And so I did what a dad would do. That's all right, son. Listen, all you got to do is just do your best, have fun, get out there, you know, go for it. It's going to be good. I'm proud of you as long as you do your best, right? And that's good for a little league baseball game. But the followers of Jesus are facing persecution. They're facing imprisonment. They're facing possible execution. They're being called into a, a movement where they're spreading the gospel all over the world. And if all Jesus had to offer them was, hey, guys, get out there, do your best, give it the old college try, cloud, I'm out, shoo, right? If that's all he had to offer, I'm sorry, that would not cut it. That would not cut it. So Jesus says, no, I'm not going to just tell you to try because actually I've seen what happens when you try, all right? We've been watching Simon try a lot. Hey, give it your best, Simon. Well, Simon, you know, messes up. We mess up. If he just said try, then that wouldn't be satisfying and if you're trying to convey a message and you're trying to start a movement, you don't just say try. So he says, I'm going to give you power. Now, here's the, here's the problem. He makes the promise, but he hasn't given them the power yet. His person is gone. The power is not there. They just have a promise. Some of you today, if you're followers of Jesus, you know you have a promise. The promise of God is that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that he will fight your battles, that he will be the Lion of Judah, that he will be the Lamb that was slain, that he will be there for you, that he'll, that he'll uh, uh, not forsake you, that he'll be there with you fighting. You have that promise, but you haven't experienced that power, right? That's where the, the 120 are, the 120 and Simon. They're going, we've, we've heard the promise, but we haven't yet experienced the power. If you haven't experienced his power, then my recommendation would be that you do what they did because they got together and prayed. For seven days, they went together. Simon led them back into Jerusalem up to the second floor of a big building where they had been gathering in the past, and they sat down and they began to pray. God, give us the power. We can't do this on our own. Give us the strength. Give us your power, because we cannot do this. And, and, and God, the, the, the beautiful thing about God is he always comes through on his promises. Every single time he comes through, because here's what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost means 50, 50 days from Passover. That's what that phrase means. It was a feast that they celebrated. The Jews celebrated 50 days after Passover. When the day of Pentecost came, said they were all together in one place. They're all there praying. Suddenly, it says, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And then it says this, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. You see, the very first thing that the Holy Spirit does when he sweeps into the early church is he gives them power to do something that they were not able to do on their own. He gave them power to speak perfectly in the languages of those who were gathered because there were thousands of people in Jerusalem from all over the world. The scripture says, now there were staying in Jerusalem 
God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, every nation. People were coming from Africa and Asia and Europe and, and the Middle East and everywhere you can imagine. They were all pouring in to Jerusalem. They were there from every nation. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. If a church wants to be effective and wants to do something important and wants to bend the arc of a city and transform a culture and create a new kingdom for God, we need to be able to speak in the language of the people we're trying to reach. Right? That's why we don't get hung up on pomp and circumstance and formality and all this kind of because we're trying to this isn't just for insiders. You see, this is, this is for those that are coming from far off, from every nation, from every tribe, from every culture, from every background. We're trying to convey the mission, the vision to them in their own language. God is both universal, but he's also very personal. So he's, he's reaching out to the whole world, but he's going to speak to you in your language because he knows your buttons, he knows where your heart is, he knows where your pain is, he knows where your suffering is, your, your challenge, and he's going to speak directly into that. So they're speaking and these people are amazed and they're saying, we're hearing this in our own language, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? The Galileans are, these are relatively poor working folks, all right? These are not highly literate, they speak a, a Galilean dialect of Aramaic. It's just a common language. They don't speak Hebrew. Maybe a couple of them do, but most of them don't. They don't speak Greek. They can't write. They're just normal folks who are just talking in their normal language, and these people are amazed because they're speaking in all of their native tongues. Then how is it, they say, that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What I love... What I love in this passage is we get to see with just absolute clarity the primary objective of the Holy Spirit, which is personal empowerment for divine purpose. The Holy Spirit's primary objective is to empower you personally to fulfill his purpose. Not to empower you to fulfill your purpose. To empower you personally, personal empowerment to fulfill his purpose. God wants to give you the power to do that which he's calling you to do, to be that which he's calling you to be, to avoid that which he's calling you to avoid. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower you to do that. When we look throughout the scriptures, we see this over and over and over again. We see the Spirit giving Joseph the power to interpret Pharaoh's dreams so that God's purposes can be done in Egypt. We see the Spirit giving the 70 elders of Moses power to lead God's people so that God's people could be led into the promised land. And then the Spirit comes upon Joshua, the scripture says, to give him the power to lead God's people into the promised land to fulfill the purpose that God had for them. You see, the Holy Spirit gives Samson the power to fight God's enemies so that God's purpose can be fulfilled. He gives David, by the power of the Spirit, power to lead God's people. So over and over, what we see is God gives personal power for divine purpose. That's what he does through the power of the Holy Spirit. So my question for you today is, if you are striving to do that which you know God wants you to do or avoid that which God wants you to avoid, you can either keep trying to do it by your own might and power and willpower and your own strength and your own valor, but you know where that gets you. What if you stopped and said, all right, Holy Spirit, <laughs> I'm gonna go like the 120 and I'm gonna pray for your power. I'm gonna seek your power for, for my life to fulfill your purpose. 
Part of that might be, hey, why don't I stop pursuing my purpose and start pursuing your purpose and be surprised by the power that you receive, right? So he's saying, I want you to, I want you to pursue my purpose, and when you do, I'm going to give you the power to do that. But the problem is, no matter what, whenever there's a move of the Holy Spirit, whenever the Holy Spirit is trying to do something through somebody, there's going to be haters, there's going to be, there's going to be the, 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 the cynics who are going to sit back and, and, and not have it. And it happens today, and it happened then, because then, it, the scripture says that some were amazed, but then it says this, others made fun of them, laughed at them, mocked, at, mocked them, and said, these guys are drunk. These guys have had too much wine. They're drunk. They don't know what they're doing. Now, when I read this, I thought, why would they go to drunk? Like, why would you go to that? Because these people are actually speaking languages that, you know, are recognizable languages. You can't do that when you're drunk. I mean, you can't do that when you're sober. You know, you can't do the alphabet backwards, probably. You know, so, so like, why would they say, why would they go to drunk? Because that seems like a weird thing to go. And then I realized the people who were from the outside didn't think they were drunk because they heard the language from their native tribe being spoken. It was the people from the inside who didn't understand any of these languages who were saying, this all just sounds like gibberish to me, right? It was the Galileans who were hearing all of these languages being spoken. They're going, man, these guys are just gibbly gawking, gooking, whatever. I mean, they're just talking. They're crazy talking, right? They're drunk, right? Here's what God is trying to say. Don't let your pride prevent you from his power. Don't let your pride get in the way of you experiencing his power in your life. The reason we do this, we do it two ways. One is, we don't recognize the need for his power, and so we miss it, right? And, and the reason we don't recognize the need is because we're not trying to do anything that's beyond our own potential. And if you're not trying to do anything that's beyond your own potential, then you don't need divine power to help you do it because you've got the power to do it yourself. So if you're just trying to do your thing and get by and have a good time and chill out and, you know, rock it to the beat or whatever you try to do, you don't need God's power for that. You don't need it. And you don't want it. And so you don't get it. Now you're going to need his power when you wake up and realize you've wasted your life and that you need forgiveness and you need to be restored and reconciled to God. Then you're going to need his power. But if you're not trying to do anything that's beyond your own potential, then you don't need his power. Some of these folks are like, whatever. I don't recognize it because I'm not looking for it because I don't need it. The other reason that we miss it is because not that we don't recognize the need, but we don't recognize the means by which he transmits it because it's not familiar to us. We're religious, and we're used to God doing certain things certain ways on our timeline this way, and this is the way it's done, and God's like this big, right? And so we're missing what God is doing because we don't recognize it. It's unfamiliar to us, and we have an expectation that it's going to be the way that it always has been. Jesus doesn't always do the same thing over and over again. He accomplishes his purpose by different means. One day he spits in the guy's eye and puts mud on it and smears it on there. Another guy, he points at him, he says, you're healed. Another person, he touches him, and then he says, go to the priest and make sure that you're clean. I mean, he doesn't do it the same way every time. And if we get so stuck in our ways that we expect God to do it our way, we're going to miss the move of the Holy Spirit in our life. There's going to be a miracle happening, and we're going to miss the move. We're going to miss the move. There's a, some of you know the story. I'm going to warn you in advance. This is a preacher joke. My wife warned me not to tell you this, but I'm, gonna, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. 
I got time, we're good, we're all together in one place, in one accord, and this, anyway, and so you've heard the story about the man who, he, he was in a flood, and the waters are rising, and so he gets up on his kitchen table, and a guy comes by in a boat, and the guy says, hey man, get in the boat, you know, the floods are coming, and this guy says, no, God's going to save me, God's got me, I don't need your boat, and then the waters keep rising, Keep rising. The man now has to go to the second floor of his house. A guy on a jet ski comes by and he goes, man, get in, get on the jet ski. The flood's coming. You're going to drown. You need to get on the jet ski. The guy says, no, God's, God's going to save me. He's got me. Waters keep rising. The man ends up on the roof of his house. A helicopter comes over. They send down a rope ladder. Get on the rope ladder, man. You're going to drown. No, 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 no. I got this. God's going to save me. Of course, the waters rise. The man drowns in the water. Now, since he's a Pentecostal, he goes straight to meet Jesus. I mean, he just goes straight to heaven, all right? And he goes to God. He goes to God. I could say that. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I, my peeps. So uh, he goes to God, and he goes, he goes, hey, man, listen, I've got a bone to pick with you. I thought you were supposed to be there for me. I thought you were supposed to save me. I thought you were the lion and the lamb, and I thought you were, and God, you know, and you didn't. You didn't save me. I drowned in the flood. What's up with that? And God says, hey, man, listen, I sent you a boat, a jet ski, and a helicopter. What more do you want, man? Right? The first service was far more courteous in their laughter. <laughs> so much more generous. Lord, take us back. Um, okay, you were right, Rebecca. I apologize. Um, the thing is, the thing is, sometimes we miss out on what God has for us because it doesn't look the way that we expect it to look. We don't expect it to look a certain way. And God comes through surprising mechanisms and surprising forces. He comes through circumstances. He comes through people. He comes through his word. But if we're not receptive to it, we will not receive it. So you've got some people saying, this is amazing. You've got other people saying, you know, you're drunk. And Peter is not having it. Peter is not going to let uh, people think that a move of God is actually a move of Jim Beam. So Peter steps up and he says this. He says, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, addressed the crowd. He said this, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people, he, he says, are not drunk as you suppose. And then he gives the evidence. It's only nine in the morning. No, he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And Simon just, if you get a chance today, just take the chance. Go home. Open your Bible, Acts chapter 2, read the whole thing, because you're going to read the passage, you're going to read Peter's first sermon, and it rocks. It is not the Simon that you think of. Simon's always stumbling over this and saying that and messing up. He preaches like full on. He pre he's, he's quoting Joel, he's talking about David, he's preaching about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he's pouring, that, pouring it out, preaching like nobody's business, leaving it all on the table, and the scripture says this, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent. Turn around. Stop being so prideful. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop thinking you got it all together. Turn around. Ask for forgiveness. 
go the different direction, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive the power. Then he said this, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, Lord our God will call. You see what he said? The promise of power is for you. This is, this, is, this is Peter talking to you. This is Simon not talking to Jesus, not talking to the 120, not talking to the locals exclusively. He's saying, the promise is for you and your children and all of those in University City and all of those in St. Louis and all of those in Missouri and all of those in the United States. This is for you. The promise of power is for you. You see, God is trying to say to you today, I am not here with you in the flesh, Jesus says. But I am sending the power of the Holy Spirit into your life to empower you to fulfill my divine purpose. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can either keep trying to fight and claw and get it done on your own, or you can say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my heart. I want you in my life. For some of you, it's repentance. It's saying, hey, okay, I was tracking down this path, but I'm going to look and see the trajectory of my life 20 years from now. I don't like the way that story turns out. So I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to commit to Christ. If that's you, let us know. Put it on your card. We'll pray with you. We'll talk with you. Whatever you need. Then he said, be baptized. If you haven't been baptized two weeks, we're going to be baptizing people. He said, do it. Make that public declaration. Don't just, don't just do it in your heart. Do it out loud. Make it public. Go, go live with this. Then he said, the promise will be there. The power of the Holy Spirit. The reason he wants to empower you, this is the beautiful part. Remember I said I was going to come back to witnesses, the word witnesses at the beginning of the sermon? I'm coming back to it right now as we close. What that means is a witness is, for you and me, what that means is a, our life becomes a declaration of his glory. Our life becomes a declaration, a display of his power. That's what that means. It means he, this is why Jesus said they will see your good works and they, they will honor my Father in heaven. Because what he's saying is, I want to turn your life into a display of my power. That's what image of God means when you hear that phrase. You're an image of God, that means you are going to live out, I'm going to give you the power to become the thing that I designed you to be because that reflects who I am. My wife loves this catalog this little catalog, by a store called Anthropology. Anybody know this store? Anybody? All the husbands with the empty wallets are like, yeah, amen. How come Goodwill doesn't have a catalog, man? You know? Serious. So she likes this catalog, and in this catalog, they've got these models, and these models are slick, and they're just looking good, and they've, and they've, they've got all these overpriced clothes on, and they're just looking like that okay like that and and the purpose of these models 
is to attract you into the kingdom of anthropology so that you might become a family member of the anthropology family. God is saying, I want to turn you into models of my power. I want you to experience love. This is the produce of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, self-control. I, I want you to become the thing that you want to become, and I want to give you the power to do that because when you are that, you attract people to me. I'm inviting you into my kingdom, my purpose, by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I look across our church, this, this building today, I see the work of the Holy Spirit right here, right now. Because look at what he did. The first thing he did, what did he do? He brought people from every tribe, nation, tongue to love one another, love God together. First thing for the new church. That's what he's doing right here. That's what he's doing right here. If you want to be a part of not just critiquing culture and criticizing culture, you want to be a part of creating a new culture, a culture of peace, a culture of justice, a culture of mercy, a culture of love, a culture of power, get into his kingdom. Receive the power that he has for you. Because the promise of power is for you. The promise of power is for me. The promise of power is for us. For his glory. For his purpose. For his honor. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you once again for making yourself known to us through your word. I pray, God, that hearts would be broken. And those of us who have held back due to pride, we would be shattered. And we would turn our lives over to you and, and, and receive the power of your spirit in our life to be transformed, renewed, and restored, and to live out the life that you have for us. I pray, God, that we would be personally empowered for your divine purpose, that we would experience your power in our lives and in our behavior and in our attitudes to do those things which you've called us to do, to avoid those things which you've called us to avoid, to live out the mission, to become the display, the declaration of your glory and of your power in the earth, that we would become the people that you have called us to be, you designed us to be. Father, we praise you that we can participate in this great movement that has swept the globe since the time that you arose from the dead. And God, I pray that today we would advance that movement in our hearts, in our lives, in our schools, on our jobs, in our families. And that we do it to your honor, to your glory, to your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. amen.